and in collaboration with Delhi Post News, Gendev Center for Research and Innovation, and City Makers Mission International. Uh, today we have um, uh, something very interesting, uh, where we'll be talking on uh, women's rights in the 21st century from the lens of a social activist. And uh, the social activist that we have with, this, with us today, this evening, is uh, a well-known, well-acclaimed um, uh, activist person. Uh, you must all be knowing her. She's Shabnam Hashmi, who is a social activist, a rebel, a fearless fighter, and a human rights defender. She's an excellent organizer and a person who has generated ideas for thousands of creative campaigns and implemented them at the local as well as national level. Shabnam has been working as a social activist for more than 35 years. She founded and ran Seher from 1981 to 1989, Sehmet from 1989 to 2003, which was formed after her brother, Safdar Hashmi's murder. And after that, another was formed in 2003, after Gujarat genocide and recently she started a platform India Inclusive. Uh, her fearless actions against communal forces have invoked the wrath of divisive forces and several times she has faced physical attacks. She was nominated for the Nobel Prize as part of the 1,000 women from across the world in 2005. She was awarded National Minority Rights Award 2008 by the National Minority Commission, which she returned last year to protest against the lynchings. She's among the handful of people who first spoke about the Sangh terror network in India. She has worked extensively in Gujarat, Kashmir, Bihar, along with work at national level. She works on questions related to democracy, secularism, gender rights, women's education and adoption. And friends, uh, I've known Shabnam uh, since 2003, and I've seen myself how on the ground she is uh, pretty firm and, uh, you know, um, uh, she's a great organizer and uh, she's part, in fact, recently they've started this um, Dwarka Women's Collective. She's in part also of Her Magar Uthe Nahi To campaign. She supported many campaigns like Not In My Name and so on and so forth. I think I can go on and on. And there's a book to her credit called Dark Leaves of the Present. So um, uh, maybe I'll come back later on Shabnam's work and all. I think, you know, she's doing something very fascinating, deeply churning as such. So uh, we'll have Shabnam talk to us for about 25 odd minutes, and then we'll open for discussion. So over to you, Shabnam. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Indu, for inviting me here. And thank you, IMPRI, or IMPR, for, I, invi yeah. for mm -hmm. inviting me to talk. Uh, I've been asked to speak about the women's rights in the 21st century India. And I want to begin by saying that uh, if we are looking at the women's rights, it is not a homogeneous slate. It is not like that every woman in the India in India is having similar rights because there are different realities. Uh, there, is, there is one reality or one kind of understanding of women rights in uh, rural India, there is uh, urban India, there is semi-urban India and uh, the realities are very, very different. Um, it has been a very long battle for women uh, in India 
to reach where they have. And also it is important to say that uh, we are, instead of going ahead, now seems to be going <laughs> in the, in the <laughs> reverse direction. Because uh, what we gained over decades, there is a very strong attack on that. I would uh, like to remember uh, today, since we are talking of women's rights, Savitri Bai Phule, who started probably the first school for women. And at that time, it was mid-19th century, 1848, if I'm not mistaken, when Savitri Bai Phule decided to open a school to educate girls. And that was a major challenge at that time. Uh, because when she uh, used to go to her school, there would be people who would be throwing mud at her, throwing stones at her, because she was teaching women. And it was considered an absolute no-no. You were not, so women were not supposed to be educated. From there, we progressed to uh, our freedom struggle, the first war of independence, where we, for the first time, saw very active participation of women who revolted against the British, who fought against the British. And uh, from 1915 uh, onwards, we see that a large number of women joined the freedom movement. And by joining the freedom movement, the ideas of equality, ideas of justice, they started entering the whole discourse. Uh, a strong women's movement starts in India uh, much later probably. Uh, from the 70s onwards, as I would remember it. I mean, the sense this is all uh, history which I have just seen. But from the 70s, when I was still in school, we see a strong women's movement starting. Uh, by then, uh, many uh, women organizations had been formed and big networks had been formed. And our understanding of gender equality or gender justice today is very, very different from what it was say 50 years or 100 years ago. Because the kind of gender equality that we talk about today is a very modern concept. There are constantly, um, you know, the various especially religious groups keeps telling us that, you know, in our religion, women are treated as goddesses or women have got all the rights. But the kind of gender equality that we believe in today where men and women are absolutely equal, where we want them to be treated equally in every sense of the word, whether it is uh, living together in, in one house, whether having similar rights to education, to work, to drawing equal pays, to respect, getting the same respect, it has to be on equal platform. But this kind of equality does not exist in any religion. So when we are told that, you know, in our religion, women are respected or, or in that religion. Yes, there could be respect or uh, the time at which that certain religion arrived. For those times, it was probably progressive for women and it did bring many progressive things. But when we look at it from the lens of the modern understanding of gender equality, we don't find that kind of gender equality anywhere. And because of that, because this gender equality is uh, a new concept where men and women are equal on, in every sense of the word, it does not 
go very well with a lot of forces. So on one hand, we have the women movements, uh, which also have men in it. We have movements by LGBTQ communities, which are constantly fighting to get equal rights for women, both men and women. On the other hand, we have very strong conservative forces, retrogressive forces, which are trying to take the women back, which are and patriarchal forces, uh, very feudal forces, especially uh, part of the India lives under feudalism still. I mean, it, it's a very different uh, kind of uh, situation in South Asia or in many other countries also in Africa and in many other countries from the Western world, because India lives in various realities at the same time. Uh, for me, uh, a struggle could be very different from a woman who's living in rural India or in a village or in a conservative family. So for different uh, geographical areas, for different, even different communities, the struggle is very different. But there are many, many things which apply to everyone. Uh, we can't say that we have not gained anything. We have definitely, as women, as women rights, we have gained a lot of things. When we uh, when we attained independence, the literacy rate at that time was extremely low. And from there, it was just about, I think, 12%, if I'm not mistaken. From there today, I mean, we don't have the figures for 2020, but the last um, survey was uh, 2011. And at that point, the literacy rate has risen to over 74%, almost 75%. So. Uh, there is a big difference in that. And we see thousands of women today in public life, in, in jobs, in any place that you go to, in police, in army, in politics. Politics, the percentage is very less in terms of the elected representatives. But in politics, you find a lot of women. And it is very different from if we, even if I look at my childhood and the number of women who were allowed to uh, go out uh, or participate in various um, programs or, or have jobs or, you know, live a life of uh, the way they wanted to live, the number was very small. So it is not that we have not gained anything. We have had a prime minister who was a woman. We have had a president who was a woman. We had two Lok Sabha speakers who were women. We have a large number of women politicians and chief ministers. So on one hand, it looks that you know women are and have gained a lot since we started our journey. <clears throat> but there is there are still huge amount of challenges that that are there in front of uh, the women in India. And as as I said, that there are people, there are women organizations, there are people who are working on gender equality on one hand, and there are forces who are constantly trying to uh, just uh, take back the women to where they were even I mean not even at the time of independence but much before that so there's a constant struggle which has become uh, a lot more difficult now in the last six years since uh, the new government has arrived and even the last few decades because the kind of retrogressive ideas which have been pumped into our minds uh, or pumped into the minds of the Indians, they are quite retrogressive. And we constantly see an attack on women's rights and very concerted efforts also on women's rights. I'll come to some of those examples in the end, but 
uh, but I want to talk about the other uh, problem which women are facing constantly from even from before the birth. The, the whole patriarchal mindset mm -hmm. and the whole uh, mindset which only wants, uh, you know, a son ensures that millions of girls are killed even before they are born. Even in this 21st century, every year, lakhs of girls do not come into, into the world because they are killed in what is called female feticide. They are killed even before they are born. Some of them are killed before they are one year or even one month because nobody wants to have a girl child. And it's a major problem. When a girl is born, there is extreme unhappiness in families because a girl is unwanted. A girl is supposed to be somebody else's property because she's, her whole body is objectified. She's not an equal person, she's not an equal human being. She does not have rights of an equal citizen in this country. So from that birth itself and before birth, the discrimination starts. And there are child marriages. There are many, many challenges. Even when a girl has to get married, there are, I don't know, there would probably be not even 1% of people in India today. I don't have statistics who are taking stands against uh, dowry, who are saying that there is no question of any give and take. So the moment you agree to give dowry, the moment you agree to receive dowry, you are already establishing that a woman is not equal to a man because she has to be married off only with a dowry. The man who is, who is accepting dowry is giving a clear message that I'm marrying this woman but she's not equal to me because she has to bring money so that I accept her. And it is a major challenge in India. And unless we are able to fight this meanness, and it is because of dowry, it is because the parents think that when a girl grows up, we will have to spend a lot of money that they, they decide to just kill her even before she's born. Or then there is a whole question of education and which is, uh, as compared to earlier, yes, there is a large section of women who are educated and highly educated, but still there are a large section of women and not only in rural India, even in urban India, in, in our, if we go to, I mean, we run a center for school dropouts for girls and there are so many young girls who study up to fifth and then there is a very drastic dropout because they cannot afford it because of poverty because of very conservative attitudes because the girl helps for in the household work and so on and so forth in rural india it is much more and now with the new education policy that is coming which is going to privatize a lot of education and also which is talking of rationalizing the schools and which means mainly closing down the schools at the village level and opening a bigger school at the district level, we are going to see that a large number of girls who were at least getting education till fifth or eighth, even they are going to drop down because the parents are not going to allow them to go uh, to go and uh, travel five or 10 kilometers. So all these are uh, problems which are faced by women across India, somewhere less, somewhere more. Uh, then the other major question is in the workforce. And uh, I had 
taken out the data which was quite alarming to me in i mean as in 2004 and 5 women in workforce were 42.7% and in 2017-18 it has reduced to 23.3% just in and this is not even covid this is before covid we have already seen that during covid we have seen lacks of jobs being uh, you know just evaporating and a large number of women have lost their jobs after demonetization a large number in lakhs women lost their jobs especially in rural india women who are, who work as farmers women who are laborers in uh, in uh, you know in uh, who work for other people who have farms and who have land they have lost their jobs in huge numbers and they are facing because of that they are, they have been thrown into total poverty during the covid we saw how migrant workers and lakhs of them had to travel for hundreds of kilometers to walk home and again the the people who have gone back what is going to happen to their children's education that is also a very big question and uh, so there are multiple attacks on women rights whether it is their education whether it is their uh, you know jobs Uh, we have seen even the white collar jobs disappearing and if you remember when i think jet closed down and other airlines just yes. sent out their staff large number of those women were uh, of those workers were women because of um, uh, they were either working on the ground or they were air hostesses and so on so forth and these kind of jobs have been lost everywhere even when the jobs are there whether it is uh, an organized sector whether it is organized sector whether it is women working in bollywood their salaries are not at par women are not treated as equal women salaries are much much lower depending on where they are working so there is a lot to fight about there is a i mean the challenges are huge uh, and instead of creating a situation where women can thrive where women can be treated as equally we are uh, you know constantly facing attacks on women rights uh, there have been and these are attacks by the by those who run this country because there has to be a political will if you want women to be treated equally the domestic violence during the pandemic has has grown um many many times i mean i don't have any data with me because uh, i'm not a very academic person but uh, uh, domestic violence has increased and domestic violence has always been there it has always been there when a woman goes uh, to complain the the way she is treated by the police we have a totally anti women anti uh, i mean totally gender insensitive police and administration even the judiciary and we are not serious about sensitizing our police force sensitizing our administration sensitizing our judiciary uh, on this question of gender so these are major challenges which women of india face but i want to bring in uh, i was given 25 minutes i i want to bring in two three things which uh, i will have to uh, look at my notes one is that i was talking about the women farmers 65.1% of the uh, agricultural laborers are are women either they are cultivators or laborers 
and during this the last after notebandi after gst and now pandemic uh, lakhs of women have lost their jobs also when we talk of farmer suicides we actually a woman's uh, face never comes in anyone's mind when you talk of a farmer suicide you think of a man who is uh, committing a suicide out of the 332000 farmer suicide Nine, more than almost twenty thousand were women farmers who committed suicide. So on one hand, women are being forced into a situation where they cannot sustain their uh, agriculture because of various policies and the loans not being. Uh, you know, we have huge amount of money to uh, to uh, give away the. I mean, to I'm. जो माफ करना कहते हैं हम बड़े बड़े जो पूंजीपति हैं उनके loans हम माफ हमारी सरकार कर रही है लेकिन फार्मर्स के लोन्स जो हैं उनको माफ नहीं किया जा रहा एज अ रिजल्ट फार्मर्स आर यू नो फोर्स्ड इनटू कमिटिंग सुसाइड्स एंड आउट ऑफ दिस फिगर नाउ दिस थ्री लैख प्लस फार्मर्स हु हैव कमिटेड सुसाइड हु आर मेन सडनली यू हैव हाउस होल्ड वेयर द वुमन इज लेफ्ट टू रन दैट हाउस होल्ड वेन द मैन हैज गॉन एंड शी हैज नो मेजोरिटी ऑफ दीज वीमेन आर डू नॉट हैव द ownership rights on the land it is either in the man's name or once he dies it then goes to the family encroaches upon it even if they had land most of them are anyway uh, just working as laborers so as i said the realities for different sections of women are very different some for somebody it's a question of the bare survival whether they can you know they can they would survive and have two meals a day for some it is a question of getting the basic education for some it is a question of fighting for equal rights within their families and in the middle of all this we have uh, political forces which are bent upon uh, you know dragging the women back to the dark ages i will i want to give you three four examples uh, we have heard various political leaders giving these um, statements that hindu women should produce 10 kids so that hindus remain in majority now to you know for their own false narrative which they have been building for years to spread hatred and to spread communalism in this country where they say that the uh, muslim produce a lot of children and because of that their percentage is going to become much higher and we will become a minority one day so they are telling hindu women that you must produce 10 children or 6 children which means that a hindu woman does not have the uh, you know the capacity to think that you want to uh, totally control her sexuality you want to control her body and you are telling her that it is not your decision what you want to do in your life whether you want to produce a child or you don't want to produce a child whether you want to get married or not get married but you have to produce certain number of children because we want our political narrative to be spread across the country there is uh, an organization called garb vigyan sanskar and arogya bharti and vidya bharti they have been doing live trials for almost 10 years now and they are propagating and it is exactly the copy of what hitler did hitler had said that we must raise the birth rate of racially pure blue eyed fair and tall aryan boys it has been picked up from there and this is what 
Gad Vigyan Sanskar is doing. They, their aim is to produce 2000 children by 2020, which are called Uttam Santati, who would have pure uh, blood, who would be you know, tall and handsome and so on and so forth. And they are doing these, um, these experiments on women bodies because they are not going to produce children. They are doing these uh, all experiments on women bodies. Uh, then I remember reading about in, in a paper, um, a journalist had written about it, that uh, she was traveling and she came across these shakhas, which were uh, being, they, they were holding training camps for girls where they teach the girls the, uh, and in, in, in fact, indoctrinate, I should say, not teach, indoctrinate, that girls have to uh, grow up and they have to become good homemakers, they have to become good wives and good mothers. There is no concept of a woman uh, as a human being, as an equal citizen, who has a right to work, who has a right to live her own life, who has a right to uh, love and who has a right to get married according to her own wishes. And these are regular trainings which are given to girls in across India, especially in rural India, in tribal India. And when this journalist asked this uh, uh, director who was there, who was the who was uh, you know in charge of the camp, she asked them, what, "What about domestic violence? I mean, what do you teach the girls about domestic violence? Because if they when they get married and if they are abused, then what should they do?" Her reply was, and this was in a newspaper. I have taken it out from there. Her replies was that the wife must adjust to keep in mind her husband's moods and should not irritate him. So on one hand, we are fighting to get equal rights. We are fighting for equal dignity. We are fighting for equal jobs. And on the other hand, we have these forces who are teaching women that your only role is of daughters or wives and mothers, there is no other role. And it is not confined to, I have quoted RSS, it is not confined only to the RSS. I remember in 2010, and that was one of the reasons why we decided to travel across India for 33% reservation. There is this Muslim cleric, uh, Kalbe Jawad. When the question of 33% reservation came and the women groups were fighting for it in parliament and assemblies, he gave a statement. He said, Muslim women have nothing to do with uh, with politics. Their role is to produce uh, children of good good race. That is what he had said. So when it comes to the mentality, the patriarchal, feudal, anti-women mentality, there is no difference between whether that person belongs to religion A or religion B. And these forces are just uh, taking back women, constantly pushing back women. Recently, I read in, in this happened in October, I mean, it was reported in October, as everyone knows that tribal uh, villages and tribal, uh, tribal people, they are a lot more open about, uh, you know, about the choice of whom you marry, whom you love. And it, it has been a tradition in tribal society that the girls always select their own partners. But with this kind of attack, which is coming in the, in the, you know, against intercaste marriages against interreligious marriages. We have already seen what happened to the Tanishkad and this whole bogey of love jihad, which they are uh, saying that it's, it's the Muslim boys who 
you know, who take away the Hindu girls and so on and so forth. Everyone knows about that. Although the reality is that there are equal number of Muslim women who are also marrying Hindu boys or who are marrying Christian boys. But it, we don't discuss that. We don't talk about that because that narrative does not fit into the narrative that <clears throat> the right wing wants to project. So in tribal belts, this is a this is a case from uh, Devgar Badia, where uh, now what has started that if a tribal girl wants to marry on her own or falls in love and decides her own partner, then the whole village uh, uh, leaders, they get together. And if in, this was a case where in 2019, a girl had, uh, you know, eloped with her, uh, with the person whom she loved, she was brought back. And now they have started that any girl who decides to marry on her own, she will be taken away and she would be auctioned. And there was this auction happening. And when this organization called Anandi from uh, Gujarat, they, it's a women's organization. They intervened, they reached there with women and they stopped it. And there is another case going on in Godra. There is another case from Gogamba. And there are many cases from this tribal belt. So, you know, this was unimaginable. As I said, instead of going ahead, we are going backwards, auctioning a girl because she has decided to marry her on her own. And constantly what we keep hearing that the Hindu girls are, I mean, what are you trying to say? That the Hindu girl doesn't have faculty to think? We do not want young people to fall in love with each other. We want to control everything. These are, these are forces which are... Uh, which are very, very, you know, um, not only conservative fundamentalists, but anti-women. And they are dragging us back. And that is, I feel that, you know, all other things that I spoke about, there are many challenges. But the major challenge is that in the society, unless you have forces who believe in gender equality, the kind of gender equality that the Indian constitution has given uh, women of India, where every woman has to be treated equally in every sense of the word. Unless we are able to, you know, have progressive voices much more louder, much bigger in numbers, women equality and women rights are going to come under a major attack. They are already under a major attack by these conservative forces. And in both, because of the last 10, 15 years of communalization, which has grown in the country. And, uh, and the anti-Muslim uh, propaganda which has happened in the country and the hatred which is there today in the country. We cannot deny it. There is hatred towards the Muslim. Because of that, what happens that once you attack a community that moves inwards and that starts looking at that probably, uh, you know, you start losing your trust on, on many things. You don't trust the police. You don't trust the state. You don't trust. So you you think that only I can only be safe with, within my own religion. And you start moving inwards. And that is what has happened to the Muslim community. And as a result, the, the uh, fundamentalist Muslim organizations, they have now a much bigger hold on the Muslim community than what they had 20, 30 years ago. And when conservative and, and fundamentalist religious forces take over a community or become more powerful, then the first attack comes on, on women rights. And that is what is happening on both the sides. It is happening on both the sides. I don't know about the Christian community or the Sikh community so much what is happening in their communities, 
but on on muslim women and on hindu women the and on every single citizen of this country every single woman of this country because of the rise of the fundamentalist conservative communal forces fascist forces the attack which has come on women rights is is a major major challenge and unless we are able to tackle that we will not be able to even think of gender equality we have already seen how women have the number of women has decreased in the workforce drastically from 2004 to 2017 18 and it will you know go down further if we do not resist the communal fascist forces in this country and last thing which i want to say is that we cannot look at any single issue in isolation every single social issue is connected to whatever else is happening in the country so you cannot say that we would you know have a situation where women would be treated equally but communalism can sustain or uh, economy can keep on going down the drain but the women would have a very nice life it is not possible if economy goes down the drain then women are going to lose jobs and women are going to become economically dependent or reach a position of poverty if communal forces and the fundamentalist and patriarchal forces become stronger then women roles are going to be confined and they will be forced inside the four walls and they would be covered from head to foot so i think i would end there and uh, i have sorry i have exceeded my time and uh, if there are any questions i would be happy to answer um thank you shabnam i think you know uh, no regrets for you exceeding time because we all were keen to listen to you and uh, what he was speaking actually was the truth and many of us are disturbed by you know what you have shared and we are aware of uh, the challenges that uh, you know we have faced uh, we men and uh, women of india are faced with you know and i think i don't want to summarize what he said because i think uh, you know uh, it is coming very well <clears throat> to people that how on all frontiers of education of economy of workforce everything women are going downhill and how <clears throat> you know the current politics is such that you know the patriarchal forces are gaining and it's actually further you know um, prisoning the women as such and if there is any gain of the religious forces the first attack is always on the women so i think instead of progressing we are retrogressing and i think you know um, uh, and i think you did uh, come up with some data in terms of how on um, education you know uh, things improved but when we talk about the workforce and all how the women um, as farmers and as uh, workers have reduced as such and how with no land rights and all i think it becomes worse for them uh, also you know i think you spoke about um, the experiments that are going about the garb vigyan and all that and i remember uh, shabnam uh, i think about 2 years back a bhu started a course called adarsh bahu they are going to uh, you know talk about socializing the women as adarsh bahu so before getting married a girl can go for this adarsh bahu course and study be certified by the adarsh bahu course so that anybody who is marrying would know ki ha bhu se humne adarsh bahu course kiya tha bhai means means bilkul achhi gharani ban gaya ye ladki jo you know imagine what we ha docile docile bilkul docile and you know pliable and you know open to all expectation everything you know i think uh, shabnam uh, you did speak about um, many things you know as to how uh, you know uttam uh, santati that the current government or whatever the approaches are pretty uh, what pretty much what hitler was doing at that point 
and um, you know and i think one important thing which you brought out also was that uh, every single social issue has to be seen in its proper connection so it can't be that the economy shatters and society progresses or politics goes down and education prospers i think it's all interconnected you know and uh, so i think that's very important uh, uh, of course before the questions come i surely would want to also ask you in in terms like you know like when you're talking about women shabnam it's like you know uh, especially uh, when you talk about women it's always the most you also mentioned about how it's always the most excluded in marginalized sections like you talk spoke about muslim women then also about the dalit women what happened in hatras in all these places yeah. like when when the politicians shabnam swami chinmayanand and uh, you know kuldeep singh sengar and all from this party political party which is controlling which is governing this country and when when they go scot free shabnam the government tries to protect them and tries to get out these uh, criminals i think it leaves at a lot of you know ill will and of course uh, you mentioned about how uh, not this the police the administration but judiciary also uh, is crumbling under the current weight of uh, patriarchal forces and maybe i think when you are answering the question shabnam i would also want uh, you to just share about your current um, you know expect uh, i would say work you have been doing say in dwarka the women's collective where you try to hold uh, night marches we got this sub inspector arrested for trying to uh, you know um, you know i think accost the girls and all and so and, and what is struggle has been because you said there's an fir been lodged by the dwarka you know um, police so maybe if you can also share a bit about the uh, about all this to people they will understand your own struggles uh, beyond all this subnum so i think <clears throat> that's it but arjun and semin all if you want to ask some questions and maybe other participants can also ask questions then you can take the questions uh, together shabnam thank you for this fantastic you know uh, presentation thanks yeah yeah uh, sir uh, professor govind kelkar has also joined govind ma'am if you are here ma'am yes thank you shabnam hashmi yeah. my i have known you uh, since uh, sardar patel days when my daughter was your student so you won't remember her but we know her mm. no no that was my sister i never taught in sardar patel acha uh, okay all right <laughs> so that was your sister i was confusing yeah. but ideas remain the same yeah 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 so sister and ideas also besides the kind of being the uh, physical uh, i don't know really how to add uh, my words of appreciation to your what you have said because i have been part of the women's movement right from the beginning and uh, there were serious problems earlier but then there were also some gains made as you narrated earlier in this but in the last 5 uh, years or 4 years now yes there has been such a come down on which you highlighted but the most disturbing things are really that a uh, uh, couple of things one is that as you know attacks on women within home and outside in workplaces in public streets uh, one really had for example earlier about gang rapes but now gang rapes are so common rape was of course there but and the brutalization of this kind of thing that is also the uh, uh kind of destroying like uh, commodity that you a child who doesn't know much and he takes an anger a kind of doll and he tears it uh, into kind of pieces the 
So human body, woman's body is torn into this kind of thing. So that is one thing. Hathra's case proves that, Nirbhaya case proves that, and so many others, they have become the kind of prominent. So attacks on women has become very, very gruesome. That is the... And uh, I am also in one of the advisory capacities, somebody doing work on garment industry. And women are in large numbers of workers there. And kind of abusive language and kind of sexual harassment that these workers go through is amazing. I was surprised being in the kind of thing. That is how the how they have to suffer, those who are working. So that is the workplace situation. Um, then second fact is also about what we have excelled in, in production of hate and fundamentalist ideas in all the communities they have been produced, but particularly in the dominant community the fundamentalist forces and production of hate, production of patriarchal relations, and the toxic masculinity. That is what kind of thing, how the masculine mindset has to uh, force. So if we think that women would be kind of different from them, a lot of thinking, they are really finding them to a kind of support in any corner, and they are not getting it. They are not getting it within family. They are not getting an outside family. But there is a number of labor force uh, decline in the uh, labor force participation, recognize labor force participation. In all our agricultural work is done by women. So they are the food producers. So that has, but they are like workers within their family. They don't have right to own land or do something about the land, own or possess or control land and its produce. I've been doing some work on um, agriculture or uh, on land rights. So, so we are producing really a generation of docile, dependent, mm, obedient women as the ideal woman of India. That is what about Of course, I have read the Western history and that, that's what the Hitler did, uh, exactly that kind of thing. So you are very right when you say that these forces are leading to that kind of fascist forces. So we are really there, but I was just thinking that uh, what I wanted from you is really, how do we resist this? There are also women who are resisting it at any cost. JNU is an example, a lot of individual women are example, you yourself is an example, then Indira Jaising. So women are also not taking it lying down. There is a kind of hope that no matter what kind of thing this is done, our hope lies in resisting this kind of patriarchal, fundamentalist, uh, masculinist norms that are trying to uh, uh, trying to damage us, trying to get rid of us, or trying to eliminate us. I mean, this, uh, India and China were known as the kind of uh, economies, very good economies. They have been emerging, and they are still emergent economies in Asia. But both are known for kind of getting rid of the feticide, infanticide, female infanticide, getting and buying of the women like cattle because they want women to produce children and work at home and outside. So now they have started buying. So there is a whole marriage market where women are bought like cattle. So this is one thing that um, that is also there. So uh, wage disparity, no rights on agricultural land, no rights to housing. Where do women go? I mean, completely helpless situation that is there. So, but in all this, I find the hope about those women who are struggling, who are struggling through their writing, who are struggling through their kind of uh, protest. 
uh, an everyday protest kind of thing. That is what uh, uh, the being done. So that would, what did you think that, what would you think about this kind of protest that is the hope of the women against these kind of forces which are trying to completely control them? I don't know to smash them, not only control them. Mm -hmm. So I think because there are slogans, not slogans, but there are times when they also say that we will smash this patriarchy. Uh, so there are kind of a smashing of these forces also. Patriarchy, I'm putting summing up so much kind of thing, but the patriarchy has a lot kind of um, toxic masculinity. It has um, the kind of growth we are in. It has the kind of fundamentalist uh, approaches that are being taken and, and production of hatred that is being done in the name of the uh, economic growth. What I wanted some uh, words from you with regard to this kind of thing, women's struggle to against this. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, I don't think I have a, I have a formula or, a, you know, like a magic wand, which we should say that, you know, do this and things would change. Mm -hmm. uh, any social change is a very, very long process. And uh, when we start working on anything, you you know, you know work with one generation and you will see the results in the next generation, which you might not be able to see because what uh, Savitri Bhai started in 1848 and it has taken hundreds of years for women to get education. Um, there is a lot of resistance, there's no doubt about it. And uh, uh, there are huge number of women groups. There are all kinds of very creative things being done. Uh, but as I said, that everything is connected to the other. And right now, the kind of uh, political forces that sit in the country, it is not an easy task. It does not mean that the resistance won't be there, but it is not an easy task. It has to be fought at every levels. When we talk of patriarchy and gender equality, I always say that, you know, it has to, one, it has to begin from within the home. And every woman who feels uh, stifled, who feels that she's not being treated equally, she has to start from her own house. Have that courage to start from there. But unless there are changes at the structural level, it is not an easy task to, you know, to turn the tables. It's a slow process, we'll keep on fighting, but we have to keep on devising new methods. I would just share with you, a, a, you know, it was in uh, July, beginning of July, that just two, three of us discussed an idea of doing something and it was uh, pandemic and even this, the amount of, uh, you know, people which, who are going out today, even at that time, it was much, much less. So we thought of doing an online campaign, which we called, if we do not rise, and from July to, we did a one day campaign on 5th September. From first week of July till 5th September, we had 28 states uh, participating in it. 28 states had formed their own groups, had done discussions. And we ended up having 3000 uh, programs on the ground actual programs and the social media campaign had 15 lakh people participate. I mean, who witnessed it, not everyone who, who either saw it or shared it or posted something, 
so that was huge and which conveyed that people are quite fed up also the other hope which i which which i mean one place which i feel very uh, positive about is the under 25 generation because the under 25 is revolting and you see, i mean i really don't know whether that's happening in rural india but in urban india you see a lot of that the mm -hmm. parents are conservative parents are very patriarchal parents are also politically a very right wing but the children are protesting and they are not ready to be controlled by them and this under 25 generation is not carrying the baggage of caste is not carrying the baggage of being communal so there is a lot of hope there uh, and we have seen them i mean we have seen them during the gnu struggle we have seen them during the anti nrc anti ca protest of course the fascist government is doing all it can to curb all this dissent and they will continue to do that they will continue to ensure that more and more people who are vocal they stop speaking or they are jailed or they are killed or whatever but i think the i think this uh, struggle will continue and uh, it is not hopeless totally i still feel that i mean what we have seen in bihar the kind of rallies and i'm not going into the results because this is not the forum to discuss that but i believe that it was it would have been a total victory for for the secular forces mm. so it is not that the things are hopeless uh, yeah. but it's a long struggle it's not going mm. to be ending in one or two days acha hindu there are a number of questions in the chat box do are yes yes i'm, I'm i'm taking up the questions shabnam i'll read out the questions to you okay. and then maybe you know we can just have the answers for that okay some of so, them quite similar i think so you can yeah 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 i think uh, there's one um, you know uh, that can you speak of the current situation some more of persons called internally displaced post genocide 2002 anar had done a report several years ago as well on the state of resettlement colonies for displaced can you share from your view what is the situation now have any persons been able to return back to the other older communities it has been noticed in some context that dalit and tribal community members participated in the violence against muslim persons in 2002 gujarat in that economy of violence either falsely implicated or appropriated in a sense if you can speak more on that also in one place it was stated in oral sharings in great fear that some congress party mls were seen directing some mobs that engaged in violence in gujarat genocide 2002 and because no one was willing to speak on record those narratives were perhaps bleeped out from mainstream discourses what is the response to any such comments rumors etc and there is still a political economy where the right wing is criticized but often the genocide survivors and the need for them to have justice in whatever ways they choose to is forgotten almost by mainstream Why, uh, why do you think that is that? That is uh, there. Uh, that there is an economy where an anti-right wing policies is stated and practiced, but rights of genocide survivors of 2002 Gujarat still still denied. They are silenced or uh, in the background uh, now. Sometimes ago, a caravan was being taken out, perhaps for communal harmony by women's collectives. and there had been a tie up with un women and then a withdrawal of that collaboration happened and it was shared perhaps that there was some political last minute pressure from that being done 
Would you wish to speak about that from a perspective UN and its policies? Is, uh, is it pro-rights or pro-existing political privileged economy? Yeah, that's the Shabnam. And then I think, yeah, there is, was an instance from many years ago, it was alleged that in Gujarat, the polling booth was within an RSS VHP Shakha and members of Muslim community there at time feeling vulnerable were fearing to even go and make a uh, go make a vote for fear of life. So what kind of policy do you suggest for water safety in genocide, post-genocide context? Any views? Yeah. Definitely somebody who's following Anhad very closely. <laughs> yes, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. Well, uh, I have uh, I have not been to Gujarat for a few years now. Mm. Uh, there was a time when I was in Gujarat for years together. Mm. And it is not because, uh, you know, because of any apathy. It is just, uh, one is that, I mean, before I start answering, I think, it is very important to understand that activists or uh, of all kinds, they are human beings. Mm. Because many a times the expectations from activists are that they can do everything, they can't. Mm. <clears throat> you are, uh, according to my knowledge of, you know, of the last, uh, which is two years old, mm. um, majority of the internally displaced in Gujarat were not able to go back. They were the last survey that we did was, uh, which Anhad did the last survey was in 2007, but Janvikas had done a survey after that, around 2012. And till then there were about 5,000 families which had not returned to their villages because it was just not possible to return. If you remember in 2002, after the genocide, there were villages after villages, hundreds of them, which had put uh, boards outside saying, mm -hmm. This is a, I mean, welcome to the Hindu Rasht of such and such village. And it said that, you know, these are sanitized villages. There are no Muslims. So we could never go back. And the conditions were pathetic. They continue to be pathetic. Uh, there was one that the government did not make any relief colonies. It was all done by the, either by the NGOs or by the Muslim groups. And even from the Muslim groups, there were a lot of problems because none of them transferred the land in the name of the internally displaced. They kept it uh, with them. So all those problems were there. Also, these colonies were quite far away from the main uh, city. Mm. <clears throat> so as a result, it affected the children's education and there were hardly any health facilities and the basic sanitation, all those were quite a lot of problems at that time. Uh, but as I said, the last two, two, two and a half years, I have not been there. So if there has been any change, I might not know. But uh, if you are from Gujarat, you would know Janvikas. Janvikas has been very actively working with the internally displaced. And you can uh, talk to them. Uh, yes, Dalit and tribal communities were involved in 2002. But <clears throat> according to our uh, information, whatever we did on the ground, hmm. They were involved mainly in the looting, not in killing people, not in raping. Uh, maybe a few, but majority of those who killed and raped was the right-wing, uh, you know, totally right-wing cadre. Because if uh, now that we are talking about it, I'm suddenly reminded, you know, I had uh, documented about 50 cases of women who were survivors uh, and they were gang raped. And everywhere I heard 
the similar fashion in which women were gang raped or the it was the same way in which houses were burned so it was a very organized way of the attack and uh, you know you can when you talk of kosarbano you can <clears throat> think of that maybe there was some maniac who did that but when you hear several cases like hers and you when you are shown photographs of women after women whose womb is you know you know uh, cut open and you can see the unborn child uh, on a burned body you realize that it was not just one person who did that it was probably there were people who were taught to uh, violate women bodies in a certain way uh, uh, and to our knowledge most of the dalits and tribals were not involved in that in fact uh much later when i went again to many of those villages many people told me that our tribal um neighbors came came and returned a lot of things and they said that you know we were um forced to do this and we were also threatened many times and we also many of them also got carried away but uh, yes that is what i can tell you about this uh about the congress mla no i don't know of this incident but there was what i heard was that uh, a person who was uh, with one of the um, congress uh, it was either nsui or youth congress he was uh, seen um, as part of the mob uh, attacking that was told to me directly also so i don't know about who heard what but that is something which i have heard myself and from a number of people and uh, in fact uh, because i am a social activist i interact with politicians from almost all political parties except the right wing so i had uh, raised this and and told them that this is the man who uh, you know i mean i had all those details at that time so i had passed them on to the congress uh Ma'am, you can choose to answer. Not no, no, this fine. Okay. Genocide survivors need to have justice. Well, yes, you are right. Genocide survivors need to have justice, and uh, because it was, uh, you know, so huge, the whole scale was so huge that it was humanly impossible to reach mm -hmm. out to everyone. And as you know, that in the very beginning. Uh, most of the cases were shut down and then harsh bandar went to supreme court reopened got the cases reopened even after that uh, half of them got shut down and you know only uh, one case of bilkis bano where conviction was done in the rape case um it was janvikas and gagan sethi who was you know who was working in that on that case for years together so fighting one case it requires the kind of intensity the kind of time commitment conviction and money so it is humanly impossible uh, for uh, for just individual organizations or voluntary organizations it is the state's responsibility but when the state is against you and when the state is the perpetrator then this is what happens uh, there were large number of organizations which came which did relief rehabilitation at that time it was done but once uh, you know once you are uprooted once you lose everything it is very difficult to uh, to go back to the original position and even mentally 
even if you are financially even if you reach back mentally what scars you for life i mean i remember we had brought 25 kids from gujarat from kalol there's this uh, rehabilitation colony there they were with us we were running a running a center and the children used to go to school the first few uh, months were terrible because those children would get up at night and start shouting they used to get nightmares so it required a lot of counseling and help from you know professionals to deal with those kids now they are all grown up they married but uh, it's a humongous task which uh, one or two or even 100 organizations can't do and secondly uh, every single day now i mean that was uh, many people large number of people had engaged with gujarat but now every week there is a new attack so it is not it is becoming impossible to respond respond to every single thing and the way things are being normalized you know every single day you find that so so has been arrested there is this case there is that case uh, people are being attacked people are being killed there are gang rapes there are people being lynched so beyond a point uh, you can you know somebody asked me why didn't you go to such and such place uh, a rape has happened there are 88 rapes happening every day that was on a press conference that we did after our visit to hathras we had gone to any raja myself and punam koshik had gone to hathras so i mean how do you physically do that uh booth yes i have also i also remember ajan this question in between about this campaign was called baate aman ki and yes this happened you are very right that un women had told us that they would provide us five vehicles we we had gone on uh, there were five groups of uh, people uh, women 25 each and we traveled from five corners of india and and stopped at 200 places Uh, this campaign was around safeguarding the constitution but we spoke about gender gender equality and everything uh, a month long campaign where we started from kerala assam uh, delhi tamil nadu and kashmir and culminated in delhi so it was just frankly it was 3 days before we were to start that un women withdrew that support and only we know how we managed it because it was not possible to cancel in 200 cities there were you know committees formed program venues blocked and uh, paid for there were there were over 500 programs rallies and cultural events there were huge campaign and 3 days before that there was no way we could have cancelled it so last moment we took loans and um, we decided to go ahead but i must say that after it was over and we gave a call that you know we need to repay this loan we collected the funds of course nfiw which was part of the campaign also donated a large amount of that uh, of that loan um but we were able to collect that amount and return it it was only because of ordinary people's support that you know we were able to do that campaign so yes there must have been uh, political pressure uh, there is no other way that although they said there is no political pressure but mm-hmm. there was pressure on their bangkok uh, um, office 
and that must and and i mean people who are into this business know it that the pressure comes only from one place or two places there are these two men either one office or the other office uh, directly there is no third party involved in that so mm-hmm. it is either the pmo or the home ministry which mm-hmm. calls people and tells them to do certain things um the last question is about the polling booth being in a place yes uh, it it is true that that had happened and it the question was raised oh, well um the polling booths have to be near uh, especially when uh, there is insecurity it has to be uh, where the people live it has to be within 200 meters of the place where people live and at that point we had taken up these issues i don't exactly remember i, I mean i had personally met the election commissioners and on many other things also i mean one of the things on which i have met the election commissioners many times over are the evms because we strongly feel that evms are are being manipulated so we did that and yes all your questions are i think i have answered all the questions unless there is something else now let me add few few things based on your uh, special talk ma'am uh, uh, thank you uh, very much for uh, you know finding out time from your busy schedule and really talking about uh, this very pertinent issue on our uh, special gender gap series on this topic of women rights in 21st century india uh, from the lens of a social activist ma'am you have really uh, uh, started uh, from mentioning savitri bai phule and uh, how the education has been in the last century so tough uh, that even the participation in education in knowledge basic knowledge and then uh, uh, in all spheres of life and uh, ma'am has really quoted and highlighted employment statistics from the uh, last uh, decade and uh, then raised many points especially pertaining to the employment scenario be it participation lower level of participation pay gap uh, 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 abuses so many different things and uh, uh, really highlighting that the market uh, is not playing its part uh, and uh, uh, having the uh, gender gaps per se uh, one thing uh, really uh, i'm highlighted which i really wanted to focus on uh, uh, for the sake of this uh, talk that uh, i'm really highlighted uh, uh, the, the, all the fight towards political reservation uh, what ma'am we have been also uh, our chairperson uh, professor uh, Uh, Govind has also been highlighted that the right to property uh, is very important, right to land. And uh, as an economist or as the idea or you know impact policy, what we also see from also all the developed uh, regions of the world also uh, that the participation of women is very essential. Not just you know the dummy uh, given that takes a lot of time. So real participation in in all the uh, I would say the society, economy, and all the spheres. Ma'am, what do you think, and what do you, uh, how do you see this political reservation one third? I think that can uh, also be a good uh, a signaling message that that should be taken. What are the roadblocks? Every time we hear, last time also we we heard before the election something something happening. A chairperson of AICC also writing letters. Uh, that has been, I think, uh, I've been studying in JNU in last decade and. since then we have, we have been uh, hearing uh, really uh, ma'am what is your view as a as a social activist i'll just add a few more points and uh, ma'am has uh, really uh, highlighted all the uh, 
like gang rape and so many things ma'am is really highlighting in one day 88 more than 100 cases the the deterioration of story and uh, what we are uh, being highlighted as india in world media is something very deplorable uh, we are breaking records of all its kind in kerala uh, ambulance taking a, a woman affected by corona and compounder doing the rape and uh, you know doctor doing the operation uh, th th that is not getting end ma'am what do you think as as your experience and so much of also fight with uh, uh, in terms of legal political so many sphere you deal with uh, how to come over especially in this 21st century uh, from this institutionalized uh, you know social uh, deep rooted mindset uh, 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 how to fight fight this and uh, really now uh, ma'am has highlighted that as uh, the times are changing this patriarchal and but now also the majoritarian uh, imposement uh, and the business as usual scenario is uh, will perhaps increase this gap gender gap and would not lead to equality liberty fraternity what our constitution has enshrined uh, ma'am really uh, one last point i wanted to make uh, what are the small steps which communities or you know government uh, a, a group of people should take and also uh, researchers like us practitioners uh, to embed in themselves themselves to have uh, uh, small steps or you know bigger steps which will have impact and uh, uh, the policies really nirbhaya fund and uh, so many things of uh, so many of struggle of so many people uh, but uh, uh, really nothing in implementation so you have all the fund everything gender responsive budgeting this that so many legal document fighting course court indusar fights a lot but then when it is coming to implementation here there you know again the business as usual scenario this bureaucracy is also uh, leading to uh, somewhat uh, business as usual and accentuating this gender gap uh, so uh, I, i have few more things i think um, you have understood the crux uh, that uh, how what the policies and what steps should be uh, to have uh, uh, an impact and uh, uh, towards narrowing this gap and how we can learn from your this deep vast experience and uh, and um, how do you get so much of uh, uh, i would say strength to keep doing this even at this age yes thank you ma'am so much you know i'm young what do you mean even at this age yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. i am only 63 now the average age Absolutely. is i think 75 or something in india <laughs> when we were children the average age was much lower Mm. so mm, uh, well 33% reservation um, but ma'am let, let me just add but when since you mentioned this very pertinent point and now the employment figures as india being one of the youngest country in the, in the age or this number demographic dividend uh, most you know in terms of unemployment the graduate girls uh, 50 60% unemployment rate you pass the college there is no job also for boys but that level is so huge and uh, this is propping up, up and our youth is becoming uh, you and you also said that but there is also hope a silver lining and especially i have witnessed all through my uh, studies from jamia jnu everywhere uh, people also with their parents and you know guide teachers like you we are going forward and taking those steps sorry to again but i really thought to make this point yes ma'am 33% reservation politics so i mean 33 was when we started fighting about it i mean a generation before me frankly we are 30 uh, the struggle for political participation of women became 
I think it was Geeta Mukherjee of the CPI who first uh, started talking about it in the parliament. We are uh, the next generation after her who, um, you know, who started this struggle. Uh, according to me, the major roadblock are the men in political parties and patriarchal mindset. Because uh, while in every time it is said that, you know, it was passed in one house and it was not passed in the second house. So it was, I mean, I won't name the political leader, but a very senior political leader had told me that I don't have support within my own party because the men do not want to leave their uh, seats. So it is not that, uh, you know, what is reflected in the parliament, sometimes one political party would oppose, sometimes the other would oppose, but in principle, it is within the political parties, the fact that men are totally controlling political parties, um, even, if, even if the person who's leading the party is a woman, even then it is controlled by majority men. And they do not want to, because if political parties are so serious about giving space to women, then where are the women in their political parties? I'm saying parliament and assembly will come later. First, they have to be there in, in the Central Committee, in the Politburo, in the whatever, I mean, different political parties have different setups, their secretariats. You don't see women leadership within the political parties. How many women are there in, say, um, how many women are general secretaries of Congress? Look at the percentage. Is it 33%? It should be 50%. How many women are in the Politburo of CPM. How many women are there in CPI? In I think whatever it is called, their Politburo or whatever they call it. So unless political parties are serious about it, giving that space to women within at every level, it was because there was reservation in Panchayat and Gram Sabha level. That is why we see so many women there. Otherwise, in Parliament we have I think twelve or fourteen percent women. And India must be one of, all other South Asian countries have a lot more women. So unless, uh, you know, I mean, again, it goes back to the same thing, same patriarchy, same anti-women attitudes, same right wing. And, and that mindset is in all the parties. I mean, what about, I mean, forget all these parties. What about Amadmi party? Yes. Which, which uh, came with all those promises. <clears throat> Yes. In, in the first first time, they had one uh, women MLA, Alka Lamba. She was not given any position. Even the Ministry of Women and Child Welfare, even that is run by a man. Mm. And okay, you even if we say that, oh, Alka Lamba was from the Congress and they didn't want to risk that. I mean, what about Atishi? Why Atishi was not given uh, uh, a ministership? She, she won her election. Or even if she had lost, they could have given her a... So there is no space. I mean, people who are running these parties are highly patriarchal and they don't want to give any space to them. So this again, I mean, this has to be fought by women and by men who are feminist men who believe in equality. These are very, very difficult fights and I don't see this happening at all because with the present uh, political dispensation, uh, we don't see anything progressing. We are only, as I said, have said it so many times that we are going backwards. 
that was one thing. What was the rape? Well, you see, it is not that uh, violence against women has not happened. It has been happening forever. And it was after Nirbhaya that we, you know, uh, the Verma committee was set up and there were the finest of our feminist lawyers who worked there, Indra Jaising and Vrinda Grover and many, many others. So the law which they have made is very good, except that it still does not recognize marital rape. Everything, everything, otherwise it's a good law, but only having good laws. We have good laws on many things. We have an anti-sati law, we have an anti-dowry law. We have so many laws which are in favor of women. But unless the implementation is there, unless the person who is sitting there, whether it is in police or judiciary, unless those minds are gender sensitive, there is no way that we are ever going to get uh, convictions. And on the other hand, unless we are bringing up our sons, I mean, when I say our, I'm saying the nation's sons, unless we are bringing them up as nice, humane human beings who have empathy unless that happens and we don't see that happening when at the political level you are constantly propagating violence you are constantly degrading women you are constantly uh, you know having uh, i mean for example this uh, when when you have these kind of mindsets it is very difficult to change the situation <clears throat> the resistance will remain there and I mean, I'm not saying that if you remove this government, then suddenly everything will become better. As I said, there were rapes earlier, there were attacks earlier, but in the last five, six years, they have gone up many folds. The violence against women has gone up by five, 6% only in one year. And rape as a tool is being used now. If you, if you look at the pattern of any kind of violence, you see, if we say it happens on its own, no, it doesn't. It is planned. When uh, lynching in the name of cow happens in one place, within that first, within that month, you will see lynchings across India. When a gang rape happens, you will see gang rapes happening across India. So there is a there is a system to what is happening. And rape is being used as a tool to subjugate women, especially of the Dalit community, of the Muslim community, or anyone who, you know, who raises their voices. So when you have this kind of politics, we can keep on fighting, we can keep on, uh, you know, raising our voices. But unless we are able to change the political system, uh, it might reduce, it might become big, uh, bigger, but... Uh, it won't be solved. I mean, we're talking about policy level. Well, Mr. Modi, who is a very good, as I say, an event manager, because he announces schemes and which are covered by the controlled media. And it looks as if, you know, everything is shining in this country. Beti padhao, beti bachao. 65% of that budget has been used for uh, advertisements. So even if you bring a good policy, even if you even if we consider that it's a good policy, if you are using 65% of that budget for projecting your own face on every television and newspaper, then what is the point? Where is that money going? 
and rest of the 35% has not been utilized fully. So as I said that everything is connected, only bringing policies is not going to change. It's a very long struggle and it, is become, it has become much longer because we have lost on scientific temper, we have lost on rationality, we have lost on humanity, we have lost on love and peace. And today we have people sitting in the government who are anti-science, who are anti-rationality, who are anti-women, who are anti any kind of peace and communal harmony. So first, first challenge is to remove them, which is again, not an easy task. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Ma'am, Small steps, well, small steps are many, but for young people, especially the young people, the most important step is fall in love and fall in love I mean, it is not in your hand whom, whom you will fall in love with. But if you go in for inter-religious and inter-caste marriages, that might bring some harmony in this country and might bring some kind of sensibilities. Because when different communities, when different religions, when people of different castes meet each other, only then they realize that the other is not a devil. You see, what they have done, they have ghettoized totally. There are many people, you will find many people in places like Gujarat who would have never seen a Muslim because, and the Muslims who have never seen a Hindu. So when you don't meet each other, it is so easy to put hatred into your minds. When you meet the other community, when you meet the other caste, when you meet the other linguistic uh, community, or when you meet a person who has a different sexual orientation, when you meet them, when you talk to them, only then you would come, come to know, you know, about them. And uh, inter-caste, inter-religious marriages are extremely important to happen. And I think Ambedkar had said it at that time, that if you do that, half your problems of this hatred and prejudices against each other would vanish. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. I really visited... Uh, uh, United States, and there I got a chance to read the writing of Dr. B. R. Ambedkar. And there I really got this uh, idea, which you just rightly mentioned, that intercaste marriage is something that uh, can really yield to uh, many things. And um, uh, ma'am, one last point I really wanted to mention that uh, uh, in other South Asian countries, Bangladesh, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, like we have Raj Sabha, the permanent seat, there are uh, uh, half one third of the seats are reserved for women. So no matter what the parliament would be, there are always women on the upper house. Yes. We do not have that scenario. So of at least upper house has that sensitivity and uh, some successes have come from Bangladesh, uh, uh, Sri Lanka, not so much, uh, of course, uh, but uh, uh, how should we envisage now this political process uh, when in planning, in leadership, there are no position for women? Uh, I would say there is a lot of competition. Then how the implementation would be done because uh, everything is so so much linked. Uh, so ma'am, what do you think that political process should be? Uh, where should uh, the researchers and practitioners should focus upon uh, this political reservation really have so much of backlog now that uh, we need to have 75% reservation now for like 10 20 years then that backlog will you know something useful can happen i also really had a good chance to meet uh, 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 justice verma when he uh, came out with his report and then also 
uh, he he was very hef- hopeful that you know many things will turn around and it's it's good that the leadership is taking very much interest but then he uh, passed away we don't know that whether what he envisaged uh, so quickly by then and we are now in 2020 so many years passed and nothing is happening and uh, rationality scientific temper so many uh, good takeaway from your special talk today ma'am uh, one last thing really that uh, the women empowerment or gender gaps or whatever things we are raising today uh, what is it is it a demand is it a right it is a human right uh, is it a, a woman empowerment uh, which space because the space which we are fighting for uh, uh, essentially and in principle uh, from which angle we should take it especially uh, uh, for this long march and your experience as social activist indra sir if you like to add anything yeah 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 no uh, yeah maybe no let shamun speak and then towards then i'll add something yeah sure rights are human yeah. rights i mean i somehow i don't like the word empowerment hmm. uh, probably because i mean it's a good word i'm not saying it's a bad word but probably the way it is used in india uh, women empowerment which actually doesn't empower women mm-hmm. i mean like kutwala kutwala uh, and toilet huh? yes women empowerment is you build a toilet and mm-hmm. you build most of those toilets which are built are dry toilets and mm-hmm. uh, and majority of the manual scavengers are women which in principle has been abolished but in practice it exists so this kind of empowerment we have to fight from the perspective of rights women's rights human rights that's the only perspective which, from which we can write and about your earlier question i frankly i mean i don't have answers to every question mm. uh, how to go about the 33% reservation now um it's a, it's a very very difficult situation and uh, as i said we are going i think what what researchers need to do is to study what makes a fascist mind what are the processes which are turning that's my dog barking uh, what, are processes, what are the processes which are turning a good humane mind because nobody is born with a fascist mind nobody is born yes. and then uh, find ways of countering that because unless we are able to fight this mindset i mean our uh, national consciousness has shifted so drastically from being uh, you know humane and nice and gentle and uh, inviting everyone accepting everyone within your home to being so bigoted i mean i'm actually you know when you look back at your childhood and you talk to people around you now especially the place where i live in dwarka which is a middle upper middle class colony and a right wing colony it's it's actually i mean no logic goes inside it looks as if there is a there is kind of a you know kavach sir pe uske andar koi window nahi hai jisse aap koi logic andar bhejte they are <laughs> like what we call bhakts and no amount of uh, any argument will ever make any change hmm. so it's a very very slow process and they have done it over 30 40 years not not hmm. in one day hmm. the slow poisoning of the minds where instead of being a compassionate human being you become a bigot that process is very dangerous and it's not going to be easy to you know to change it we can save our younger people from it and uh, continue to fight energy comes from the conviction that we 
must not leave a country when we die uh, in this shape. We must have at least of what we were in 70s, 80s, at least we should take it back to that position and then the next generation can do what they want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Shabnam. Um, I just want to you know, I think from the uh, uh, answers that he gave, I just have uh, three things to just say here, you know, that and to also share with other friends who are there that, you know, um, I've also mentioned that in my fifth book uh, called City Makers, that, you know, from the lens of the homeless people that have been working for the last 20 years, Shabnam, which I think you're also part of it, you understand the work we have done because we have engaged at various levels, you know, together on those issues. You know, uh, that... Um, uh, that there are two Indias, not the India and Bharat, but in but the India which all capital letters, where everything works. Constitution of India, Adani Ambani's and Parliament Constitution, everything works there, Shabnam. The problem is with the other India, which is actually all lowercase non-India, Shabnam, where the Dalits and the Muslims and tribals and the women and children all languish and suffer where and nothing works and the whole nothing works at all Shabnam. you know so it's 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 that you know if you're able to realize that actually you're talking of non-india and we need to assert for the rights of this non-india into the constitution of india i think is what maybe we require to be more political about and assert for the rights of people you know which i think many of you are doing actually Shabnam, through various mobilization they're doing second i also also want to add here to friends you know that uh, in this 30% reservation, I don't know whether Shabnam remembers that. In fact, uh, when we were all active in that, when there was a delegation going to meet the president, that time it was Pratibha Patil who was the president, and I remember the day Shabnam, 29 July 2010, and uh, there was a delegation in which there were 10 people going, and Shabnam kept herself out, and she put this one man, that was me, in the delegation. So that's Shabnam Hashmi, you know, who can keep herself out from such, uh, you know, public faces, she has been working silently at times, but thank you, Shabnam, for that, you know, where you actually are inclusive. You include people into movements and mobilizations, which is what makes, and I was the only man in that entire women's delegation, and I remember telling Pradeva Patilji, ki, ma'am, actually 33% reservation to bahut kam hai, ye 50% So she said, 30% to nahi hone log jo hai, 50 to kuch nahi hone wala hai. I said, ma'am, no matter what, as the president, you say it, or you can say it. So I think that was, uh, I want to share here publicly that is, I want to acknowledge the support that you have been giving, Shabnam, to a large number of people and movements and all. And third is, I would not want to close this discussion uh, before you discuss about what you've done in Dwarka. I think because that's interesting, you know, one part of the city, which is so patriarchal, which is anti-women, when Nirbhaya happens, where so much of sexual assault and uh, rape and all Delhi happens to be the rape capital of the country. What is it that you are doing to Dwarka Women's Collective? And which is so important, you know, you had a meeting today also, and uh, you've been doing this for the last couple of years. So please do share that because I think Shabnam, we would want to know this. Just give me a one second, my dog is troubling. No, let him have his voice also, Shabnam. He needs his voice as well. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> He's jumping on me. Okay. Ma'am, what also <laughs> what also local communities can also learn from your localized efforts which you have been yes. doing? Yes. 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 Yeah. So uh, you know, we have been living in Dwarka. I came here in 2007, so quite a few years. 
uh, and we have done various things here, but what happened recently on uh, 17th of, uh, actually on 20th, uh, on one of the Dwarka groups, someone sent me a video and that was of a young girl called Shirin Talwar, where she was narrating what happened to her on 17th October morning. And it was, she was cycling in the morning when a man in a, in a Balero, not Balero, whatever car, gray color and uh, with uh, no number plate, he uh, harassed her and he flashed at her. Um, so she had, you know, she was petrified. She somehow managed to escape. And then uh, she called the police and whatever happened. Um, but she decided to do this video because she felt that unless I do this video, I won't be at peace with my own self and I must take it up. They went to the police. Uh, initially, the police said, Ki wo to ab tak hoga. Wo to ja ke apni, he will get a number uh, plate changed and you know, how do we um, find him and all that. So we saw this video on 20th and immediately then got in touch with some of the women uh, who have been active with us on various things. And we called a meeting on 21st night, a Zoom meeting. And meanwhile, one of the people, one of the women who's active with us, her daughter and this girl had studied together. So she connected with Shireen and she also joined the meeting. And we decided that uh, we must take this up. So next day we took an appointment with the DCP. We went and met him and we uh, gave it in writing a very strong memorandum and asking them to act upon it. And on 20, next day then, uh, first we met the DCP and then the next day we met the district magistrate with all these demands. Meanwhile, Shireen started getting messages from innumerable girls that this has happened to us also, this has happened to me, this has happened to me, this has happened to me. And there were at least three girls who had put it on various Instagram, Facebook about same man, same car, same incident. On 17th morning, same road, three incidents had taken place on the same road between 6.30 and 8.40 p.m. And now we know as of now that there is a case against him in 2018 and one in 2019. And then uh, January this year, there are several cases. And then you know, after, after we went and met and we also did a press conference, etc. finally he was arrested. And we, I mean, I was told late night on, I think it was 24th or 25th of October that he has been arrested and he is, he is a police inspector, sub-inspector, and the police might not release the name. Uh, I mean, release it because he is from their force. So again, we had to do some, uh, you know, I mean, I didn't want to give any statement unless I knew 100% that this is the case. So I um, messaged a few people and we were told that, yes, he has been arrested. Anyway, the next day police announced he was arrested. He's still in Tehar jail. So around this and the whole apathy of the administration, in this case, at least they have arrested him. But the fact that he has been there since 2018 and 2018 case is pretty bad when he has even uh, assaulted the, I mean, not sexually, but otherwise assaulted the girl. Um, and he was getting, uh, you know, getting away every time. So we also took it up. We said, this is, I mean, you have to take action against traffic police because 
if a car is traveling in i mean if i go outside in a car which doesn't have a number i'll be caught in 10 minutes in dwarka there are so many barricades there are cctv cameras but from january till october this man has been going around of what we knew that day now we know that 2018 it is the same car and the same man who has been doing this so and the traffic police doesn't nab him in the 2018 case he came back after uh, hitting this girl and by then she had called the pcr and the pcr also did not catch him they said we couldn't he got, he got away so we realized that there, he has some clout within the police and we have been demanding that that you you know you find out who are the moles in your system but which the police is just refusing meanwhile what has happened he was the pa of the dcp traffic and uh, when this dcp was uh, with pcr at that time also this person was his pa which means that they have a they have worked together not only as in uh, traffic but also in pcr i mean that there are two different posts dcp traffic and dcp pcr and last week this dcp has been transferred to dwarka as the additional dcp of dwarka and our uh, additional dcp has been transferred out so now we have written to the lieutenant governor that you know how do we uh, you know how do we tell ourselves that the inquiry would be objective if you have sent his boss who has been he has been working under him and he has been doing all this uh, all these cases all these years how do we know that the um, charge sheet has not been filed as yet so we are demanding that it should be rolled back so far it has not been done but anyway meanwhile we have formed this dwarka women's collective which we launched today which we announced today and we plan to uh, uh, you know one to tell the women here that if you feel afraid if you are alone we mm. are there what i mean it is not that we can do a lot because all of us everyone who is in dwarka collect dwarka women's collective are also very busy women in their own lives and their own work so but whatever we can do to provide this kind of support going and meeting higher officials taking it up we will keep on doing it and we will provide plus no! we are we have proposed no! that we would be doing gender sensitization uh, trainings in dwarka for the people of dwarka if the police is ready we have said it publicly we have told them we are happy to do these trainings for your cadre your force right. and we are happy to do these trainings for administration anyone so we would we plan to do that we plan to do campaigns around uh, gender sensitivity whoever is ready for that in dwarka we would be trying to do also we want to take up the whole question of the dwarka roads which are totally empty uh the way dwarka is built there are footpaths but there is nobody on the roads so if uh, there are no vehicles on the road it it's empty we are also taking up the issue of the dark spots cctv is not being there but also this sensitization for prevention and what we are proposing that we want to have you know a situation where you give kiosks on various roads so that there is at least somebody there and if possible something like the delhi heart open a dwarka heart in in various places have have these uh, various sets of shops on every road which is which gets des deserted so that you don't feel uh, you know insecure when you are walking on these roads so these are some of the things which we are going going to take up and plan to do 
And, and Shabnam, why has the police filed the FIR against you now? Oh, yes. <laughs> so yeah. after, uh, I forgot that. After, yeah. uh, after we met the, I mean, on 22nd, we had met the DCP. At that time itself, we had decided that we will uh, uh, take out a women's march for safe public spaces. And we gave him a, an application and he was very positive. Uh, next day, we gave an application to also the, since we were meeting the district magistrate, we also gave him one. And uh, then on 28th, we had slightly changed the route. So we gave another application saying that uh, we have changed the uh, spot from where we are beginning. 29th, uh, as you know, police never gives anything in writing. They give you verbally, go ahead, for these permissions are never given. I, we invited the DCP to speak. We also invited the district magistrate and the DLSA judge. She had confirmed, DCP had confirmed that I'll come and speak at the culmination of the program. Meanwhile, DCP got COVID and he was in hospital. Anyway, so uh, my other women from the collective, they met uh, the additional DCP uh, and gave him the letter asking, because we wanted that uh, the police has arrested the man and we must appreciate that. And we wanted to provide a platform where some kind of collaboration between the police and the citizens can begin. And also Dwarka citizens should be assured uh, that, you know, we are taking these steps and we are with you the, from the police side that we are going to be, you know, with you and we can work together. But on 31st, just two hours before the program, uh, I was, finalizing something, probably doing the press release or something, when a volunteer called from where the program had to culminate. And he said, the police has come here and they are saying, you don't have permission. And meanwhile, Seema Joshi, another uh, woman from Dwarka, an activist, she got a call from the police, so anyway, we rushed to the culmination point, which is outside DDA complex, sports complex. And the policemen were there uh, and they said, Aapki permission nahi. and uh, I said, but you know, because I had got a call on 30th at 8.15 PM from uh, SI uh, Vikas Yadav. And he asked me, he said, Madam, aapka route kya hai? Kahan se shuru karenge? Kahan khatam karenge? Kis time shuru hogi? Kab khatam hogi? Which is a regular thing. When you are doing something, always you get four or five calls. Mm. Uh, and so I told him that we will uh, reach the venue by 4.30. And we will have a program for 7.00 p.m. So wind up at 7.00 So he said, just ensure that COVID mobilize because permission. So there won't be more than 100 people. And we have, we have enough volunteers who would maintain distance and everything. So this was done. Now, when uh, this Vikas Yadav appeared here, before him, there were some other people. And he said, permission nahi hai. I said, but kal to aap se baat hui hai. To aapne kal kyun nahi kaha? You know, you could have told me yesterday. I spoke to the DCP at uh, around 6.15 PM. We were, uh, women were, you know, practicing in a park. They were doing, a, uh, performing on a song. So from there, I called the DCP and I said, you know, I wish you best of health and I know you are in hospital and COVID. So please, uh, could you let me know who will come from the police to speak at the program? 
So he said, you get in touch with the additional DCP. I said, fine, already Seema has been in touch with him, so I don't need to. So because there was no point, she has already spoken to him. This is at 6.15, 8.15 is the SI. And next day, just two hours before, so they came here, they said, no, no, tent wale ko saman uthao jao se, sound and everything, because we had arranged everything. We had got, in fact, good sound because we wanted, uh, because there were performer performances and all that. So they said, no, no, we will not allow, allow you this. Then he said, Aap he kept on calling people this and that. He said, no, we can't allow you. So anyway, we sent back the tent and everything from there, for, from the culmination point. And then we decided because, I mean, people didn't know it has been cancelled. So we said, we will go to the place from where the march has to start because so we went there and uh, slowly people came. I mean, we had not done a huge campaign and there were actually people who were in touch with police because there are enough people who are police chamchas. They also called people to say, Ki cancel ho gaya. before even we knew. They had called people to say, Ki cancel ho gaya, jana mat. Anyway, so there were about, uh, I think about 60, 65 people or 70 people who gathered. So then we decided, we did the, you know, the culmination program at the beginning. And then we, and meanwhile, uh, this same Yadav, Vikas Yadav, he said, Aap march nikal liche, humne police bula li hai, aapki safety ke liye. He also said, ki yaha agar aapko koi garbad banda mile, to aap hume bata di jega, jo aapke saath na ho, taaki koi problem na ho. So we said, fine. And we took out a march. And uh, three days ago, I was in, I was in Delhi University, Tuesday, Monday. Yeah, last month, uh, this Monday or Tuesday, I don't remember. So Gohar called me up. He said, there is a notice for you. They have filed an FIR against you under flouting the this COVID rules and all that. So that's it. They have sent a notice to me and to Seema, both of us. So we went there today. We went there today. The young SI woman, uh, she was not interested in listening anything. She just kept saying, Aapne permission I said there was no bid. There was no bid. 60 people is not a bid. Mm-hmm. You know, you should have told us earlier that we then he said, Thik hai, thik hai, ab court mein aap jo bhi batana hai. I mean, she was not interested in knowing anything. Court mein Inka, agar court mein milna tha, to aap dete, phir court mein baat karte, phir bhi kyun mm-hmm. Give us the names of all those who attended. So it was a public program. We were attending a little bit. And that's our job. You were there. Seema said, you were there. You could see yourself. It's our job. We'll make a police. Who came here? Who came here? So that is where it is. It's, I mean, as far as I understand, it is just simple intimidation. Yeah. Because, yeah. because for two, two and a half years, this man was not arrested. He was just, you know, getting... Uh, away from all those cases now that he has been arrested and also i think are writing a letter to the lg has uh, angered them mm-hmm. to some uh, level mm-hmm. it's just sheer intimidation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if for standing with uh, you know with young girls who have been harassed if mm-hmm. for that they want to arrest us it's fine i mean mm-hmm. i have no problem mm-hmm. No, no, I think this is, I know this is sheer harassment, Shabnam. And, uh, you know, I think uh, we all are together in this. I think anytime you require a support, we are there for that. And I think I'm glad that you all fought and got Sorry. this chap arrested. 
Yeah. Also, we have got photographs of a rally which was organized mm. by the district magistrate, mm. where one banner which says "Ek meter ki duri banake rakhiye," and there are five people holding that banner and Good. standing, you know, next to each other, mm. and it's a small mm. banner. So it mm. is not that they are stopping every rally. Absolutely. And there was this, uh, you know, why the COVID is not applied there? Why the COVID is not applied to the crowded markets where so many people are there? Absolutely. It's, Absolutely. It's very yes. clear that it's intimidation. Mm. The only thing mm. is they don't realize that we don't get intimidated. Yeah. <laughs> so we and it's we don't popular. mind. Even if you want to arrest us, it's fine. We have already mentally prepared for that. एक दिन तो तुम अरेस्ट भी करोगे एक दिन तो गौरी लंकेश जैसा भी किसी के साथ और करोगे सो वन इज मेंटली प्रिपेयर्ड फॉर दैट तो वो ऐसी गीदड़ भपकियों से फिर डर के क्या करना है सही बात सही बात है नो नो मोस्टली पुलिस मार्टिन सर विथ मार्टिन माखवान on hathras we also did one uh, event where uh, he uh, indus indus really hosted that program uh, earlier also uh, when in us uh, we really knew that the 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 black clash which black lives matter that started there also the police reform uh, having exclusionary behavior here also uh, the police re the, the reforms in the police and law and justice everything is so much required and uh, ma'am you really highlighted that uh, awareness and education starting from uh, really from the kid level but i think all our administration and all our system and institution need that orientation course uh, more than more than the new generation and it should be mandatory for them and uh, uh, really for the implementing agency and uh, the the audacity by which uh, uh, the the system is really Uh, making these things is uh, something i i don't think the young generation and people like me or or people like you would accept uh, 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 we will obviously you know uh, rise up and and say things uh, thank you so much ma'am indu sir you are saying anything no no i think i just want to just say that you know shabnam just the experience that we had with the police beating the homeless black and blue in the nights we have seen that you know um, in fact uh, i mentioned the book also you know that a child in delhi wants to grow up to be a hitler and kill all the policemen because at 8 years of age when he was 8 years he told me that shabnam that he was beaten by the belts and boots of delhi police so this is the police brutality that happened with the child and the delhi police told one homeless ki pad kya likha hai yahan pe to bola are itna padha likha hota to main to ye wardi pehn liya hota to police wale kehte bhag yahan se faltu baat karta hai tu then he said suno ye dp likha hai ये दिल्ली पुलिस लिखा है बट दिल्ली पुलिस नहीं हम हम इंडिया पुलिस है इंडिया पुलिस सो ये जो टॉकिंग अबाउट शबनम इज पुलिस द पावर दैट दे हैव इज अनब्राइडल पावर अंडर द एलजी नॉट विद द स्टेट गवर्नमेंट आई थिंक दैट इज व्हाट क्रिएट्स प्रॉब्लम यू नो इन द अर्बन गवर्नमेंट स्पेशली इन डेली इन द कैपिटल सो यू नो आई थिंक यू नो दिस इज लॉन्ग स्ट्रगल शबनम आई थिंक यू नो द पावर्स एज क्यूट the powers are patriarchal the powers are anti poor the powers are anti marginalized sections exclusive like you know people who suffer so i think we need to put up the fight i think the you know the way you have been putting a fight for so many years shabnam from the 80s till now you know i think is is inspirational for many of us and we have been uh, some of us have been part of your fight as well shabnam 
And I can only say that, you know, I think uh, most tend to you. And I don't know whether Govindji is there, um, uh, Arjun? Is Govindji there? Or we close the program? No, I don't think she's there. Yeah, yeah. So Shabnam, I think, you know, um, uh, just to uh, thank you for uh, coming today and uh, spending uh, over two hours with us, uh, you know, talking about um, issues that really, uh, I think, impact large sections of women in our society today. Uh, uh, thank you for raising the issues so boldly and, um, you know, uh, I think uh, being very, very frank about it. I just want to thank you and uh, just say that most into Shabnam, I think we are together in this struggle. And uh, I think the hope lies there that we are together in the struggle and we shall change the stuff, you know, the stuff that's going on in the country uh, as such, you know. So thanks a lot, Shabnam, and thanks a lot, everybody who's been listening to this program. Zindabad, Thank you for inviting me. In Zindabad, Shabnam. Take care. Take Zindabad. care. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, have a good night, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you.